0: One of my favorite uh, comic books growing up was, uh, maybe you've heard of this superhero by the name of Daredevil. Uh, Daredevil, if you've uh, read about this or if you know about the comic, you know he was this man by the name of Matt Murdock, and he was a lawyer by day. But at night he was a superhero and he, the problem he had was is that he was blind. He was a blind lawyer. Uh, again, but but his superpower it wasn't you know it wasn't flying it wasn't super speed it was nothing like that but his superpower was that his other senses were amplified and so you know he could hear a pin drop in another room that no one else could hear he he could smell someone coming in from another room uh, he could leap from rooftop to rooftop using sort of this sonar radar that he had uh, but again this allowed him uh, because again he couldn't see to fight crime without fear. Uh, his nickname was the man without fear. And what an advantage he had. Again, no fear. He, he didn't see his opponent, but he just simply uh, did what he thought was best and he fought crime that way. You know, uh, we typically in our own lives, you know, we, we, we deal with fear. You know, we, we have phobias. You know, so, some of us might uh, have claustrophobia, you know, the, the fear of tight spaces or a lot of us have acrophobia, the, the fear of heights, or, or arachnophobia. You know, that's probably one of the biggest fears in the world today, this, the fear of spiders. I, I was reading recently that there's this sort of a new fear that people are dealing with today called nomophobia. It's the fear of being without a cell phone. That's actually, people deal with that. And there's also this fear that goes by the name of homilophobia. Now, hopefully you don't have that this morning, since you're here with us this morning, because that's the fear of sermons. There's actually a fear of sermons. You know, we spend millions and millions of dollars in in this country alone combating fear. Think of the U.S. military. There's this ship up north of Chicago called the USS Trayer. And five days a week, it simulates uh, these attacks. It simulates uh, sort of war games and what these uh, these young men and women are doing to train, to get ready, to combat fear. They're they're running around, injured and bodies and these ripped pieces of metal, fire. You know, missile projections everywhere. And it's nicknamed the unluckiest ship in the navy. And again, it's designed to confront fear. It's designed to get these men and women ready for war. And of course, fear is a crippling emotion that has no place in the military, right? Because battles will be lost. Some will go AWOL. And so we train against it. We train to combat fear. But ultimately, these phobias, these fears have nothing. They're not as, as big a deal in the grand scheme of things because the consequences of fear within the Lord's church Is much more in Revelation chapter twenty-one verses seven and eight, as John is concluding that book. The Apostle John, and again in Revelation chapter twenty-one verses seven and uh, eight, let me read these verses to you uh, as he is concluding his thoughts here, uh, and he says that he who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Listen to verse eight. He says, "But the for the cowardly." and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. He he just got done describing heaven uh, to the people in the book of Revelation. And now he comes and says, uh, he gives this list of those who will not see heaven. And did you notice what he started with? Maybe your translation says the fearful, uh, but mine says for the cowardly, And unbelieving. That's how he starts this list of those who will not see heaven one day. And again, we may ask ourselves, what's one of the biggest problems within the church today? You know, Some may say that it's a lack of of Bible knowledge. Some may say it's the worldliness that's seeping through into the church. Some may say it's those who are apathetic or indifferent towards God. But what about fear? What about fear? We want to talk about this a little bit this morning. You remember the one talent man in the parable of the talents? You remember what happened to him? He was cast into outer outer darkness, the Bible tells us, because he feared. Uh, Because he had that one talent, and he didn't go and multiply it like the other uh, men did, but he went and he hid his talent in the field. The Bible says that he feared to do uh, with his talent, which God had given him to do. And so he was cast out into outer darkness. You know, because of fear in this life, we don't approach others about the gospel. We don't evangelize. You know, we don't go to our brothers and sisters who have wronged us for fear of confrontations or or maybe we are fear talking about those controversial subjects that are within Scripture. So, again, we want to talk about fear this this morning, the destructive nature of it and also how we can overcome it. You know, when we look in the Bible, we can get a simple definition of the word fear. You know, it, it first tells us that it's an unpleasant, often strong emotion caused by Anticipation uh, or awareness of danger, you know, it's an anxious concern. But also the Bible tells or excuse me, the, the dictionary tells us that it's a profound reverence and awe, especially towards God. And of course, the Bible agrees with that. You remember in Ecclesiastes at the end of that book, in chapter 12 verse 13, that Solomon tells us you know, that he's reached the conclusion he knows that we must fear God and keep His commandments. And Paul said it a little bit differently in the book of Philippians, chapter 2, verse 12. He said that we need to work out our salvation in fear and trembling. Again, uh, this word here, fear, is this Greek word phobos. And you can kind of see that we get the word phobia from that uh, word. But again, work out your salvation in fear and trembling, he says. Not in the sense of paralyzing fear, but again, in reverence. You know, when the Bible talks about fear, it talks about either having a healthy fear or an unhealthy fear. I'm going to read Matthew chapter 10, verse 28 here as Jesus is talking about fear to his disciples. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, he's contrasting two different types of fears. He says, do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. You see, the fear of man, he tells us here, is a selfish fear. It distracts us away from God. But the fear of God is wholesome and good, and we want to have that type of fear. God is to be feared because he is the one who is able to save and to destroy Well, what about the destructive nature of fear? Uh, We're going to go over a couple of these here in a second. And these these points are not uh, unique to myself. Brother Don Blackwell, who, uh, you know, we have a lot of his DVDs on the back table back there. I heard a lesson and he gave some of these points. But we want to notice some of the destructive nature of fear. And the first one is that fear exhibits a lack of trust in God. If you're with, uh, in Bibles, turn with me all the way back in the Old Testament to Numbers chapter 13, and 14. Here we have uh, this account of the 12 spies. Remember, as the, they have just left Egypt and they are looking to go into the promised land, and God has Moses send out 12 spies into the land of Canaan to, to search it out, to check it out, and God says, Go there and check it out, this land that I'm going to give you. You'll see what it looks like. Are the people there strong or weak? Uh, Are there few or are there many of them? Is the land good or bad? Uh, He says, is it fat or lean? And the cities, I want you to see if the cities are fortified, uh, bring back some of the fruit of the land. And you remember they sent them out. Forty days later, they come back uh, to the people and they say, yes, it certainly does flow with milk and honey. And, And here are some of the fruits. And so he shows them some of the example of the fruit of the land. But then they say, however, the people are strong and the land is fortified and they're the descendants of Anak there. These are the giants. uh, And and there's also these other nations in the land. We are fearful. Notice with me in Numbers chapter 13, starting in verse 30. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, we should by all means go up and take possession of it, for we will surely overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are too strong for us. So they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone in spying it out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people whom we saw in it are men of great size. There also we saw the Nephilim. The sons of Anak are part of the Nephilim. And we believe, or we became like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. And notice chapter 14, verse 1. Then all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept night and day. If we were to continue reading into the book of Deuteronomy, in Deuteronomy chapter 1, God is recalling this event to them. And he says, listen, I told you not to fear. I told you this land was yours. I told you that I would be with you just like I was in Egypt, and I got you out of there. But you did not trust me. And because of their lack of faith as a people, and they let that fear control them. We know what the Bible says, that they're going to spend the next 40 days wandering in the wilderness. Again, only Joshua and Caleb, anyone who is younger than the age of 20, are going to be allowed into the promised land. And we see here that fear exhibits a lack of trust in God. Well, also, we see that fear prevents growth. You know, this can be on a personal level or on a congregational level. Uh, But a personal level, you know, we don't. Uh, develop spiritually as we should. You know, maybe we're afraid of being asked uh, questions that we just don't know the answer to. In First Peter, you know, jumping back into the New Testament, First Peter chapter three verse fifteen. You know, this is a passage that I've talked about quite a bit uh, from the pulpit. That's meant a lot to me again. But uh, notice what Peter writes here in First Peter chapter three verse fifteen. He starts off by saying, "But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts." Always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for that hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Again, always be ready to make a defense, he says. But don't miss the first part. We often skip over the first part in that verse. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. What does that mean? That means to set Christ apart in our hearts, to sanctify him in our hearts. See, when we realize God in the proper context... That he is creator, that he is the almighty judge, that he is omnipresent, omniscient, the all powerful, all knowing, ever present. When we realize that, we won't be afraid to give an answer. He is God, he is I am. Uh, notice also that the destructive, fear, uh, destructive nature of fear is that fear is selfish. And think of Moses in Exodus chapters 3 and 4. You know, again, fear keeps people from stepping out of their comfort zones. And I think a lot of us, we, we sympathize when, when we read about Moses in Exodus 3 and 4. You know, we, we know uh, a lot of great leaders are not born that way. But it's something that must be developed, must be learned. And we recall that Moses, when, when God comes to him from that burning bush and, and he wants him to go to Pharaoh. Uh, remember, he gives excuse after excuse after excuse. He says, who am I that I should go? He says, I don't have a message for them. He says, you know, they won't believe me. They're not going to listen to me. Chapter four, verse 10. And this one's my favorite. He says, I'm not eloquent enough, God. I'm not eloquent enough in speech. I just can't say the things necessary. And then he says, finally, in verse 13 of chapter four, send someone else. And again, reading these verses, you know, we might give Moses a hard time, but don't we do the same today? Don't we do those same things today? See, God has placed his message, his gospel message in earthen vessels. That's you and I. And so it's our part um, to have to take that message out to others. And again, fear is selfish. Fear allows sin to spread uh, and feed bad behavior. And again, we're going to think of Peter again, but this time in a different context in Galatians chapter 2. Verse twelve, but fear—we uh, have a fear of confrontation, right? A fear of conflict, and I'm not talking about you know getting into someone's face and getting mad at them and riling them up, but in a loving way. You know, the Bible tells us that we need to go to one another uh, if someone has offended us or sinned against us to go to them and talk to them, and in Matthew chapter eighteen uh, tells us that uh, because a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. And so we need to go to them in love and to uh, talk to them about those things. Again, Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 20 talk about. Look with me in Galatians chapter 2. In Galatians chapter 2, starting in verse 11, we have the Apostle Paul. He's got to confront Peter. You know, Peter is one of the great apostles within Scripture, but Paul has to confront him. Here in verse, starting in verse 11, again in Galatians chapter 2, it says, But when Cephas... Now, Cephas, of course, is just another name for Peter. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. The rest of the Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in the presence of all, If you, being a Jew, live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, then is it that you compel the Jews to live like Jews? See, basically what we have here is that you know Peter, he was eating with the Gentiles. He was eating with them, fellowshipping with them, uh, you know, getting to know them. But when these certain Jews came down uh, with James, we're, we're told... He got scared. He feared those Jews. And so uh, he stopped eating with the Gentiles. He stopped fellowshipping with the Gentiles. And he went over to this group and stuck with them. And Paul said, as he was describing this, as he was noticing these things, is that he had to to withstand him to the face. He had to tell Peter that, Peter, uh, you are not doing well here. Peter, uh, you are uh, practicing racism. You're being uh, pressured, peer pressured. And again, fear is contagious. It has this strong tendency to spread. Uh, remember again, in the, the 12 spies. Remember in Numbers chapter 14, verse 1, it told us uh, that it went from these 10 spies who feared them to the whole nation. Millions and millions were now in fear uh, because uh, of this fearfulness uh, that they had. Well, finally, we want to notice the destructive nature of fear is that fear will destroy the the soul. Again, think of Revelation 21, verse 8. Again, it tops the list in that list of those who will will see that second death uh, that, that he describes there. And again, in the context of the book of Revelation, you know, they're going through great persecution. And so the cowardly, though, or the fearful that he's talking about are those who who let their fear of persecution overwhelm them. A fear which kept them from doing what was right because it wasn't uncommon for a Roman soldier to come knocking on their door asking, is Caesar Lord or is Christ Lord? And you as a Christian, you had a decision to make. Were you going to stand up for Christ and possibly face death at that moment? Or were you going to back out and be fearful and cowardly in that moment and fall to uh, and uh, put Caesar ahead of Christ? You know, we we, uh, uh, in preaching school, a lot of the students, you know, when you're walking from one hall to another in these dark hallways, you know, some of them like to, uh, you know, go up in front of everybody and kind of like hide out in a dark corner and wait for you to, you know, walk by and then they would jump out and spook you. You know, Uh, that's not the type of fear we're talking about here. This is a fear that in the last resort, you're going to choose self and safety before Christ. And that's the type of fear that's going to destroy the soul. Well, we, we've mentioned the destructive nature of fear this morning, but, you know, that, that information is useless unless we can learn to overcome it. And, you know, if, if you want to study about patience, you know, you go to the book of Job. Uh, if you want to study about leadership, uh, as we kind of did the, this summer, you, you go to the book of Nehemiah. But if you want to know about courage, if you want to know about facing fear, you go to the life of David. Okay. And so we're going to look at some passages in First Samuel chapter 17. Of course, this is David and Goliath. And I mean, we recall this this, the, this chapter very well. Uh, the Philistines gathered on one side of this valley. They're up on this one side of the mountain. The Israelites are on the other side. And this the champion of the Philistines, this man by the name of Goliath, he challenges Israel every day to this one-on-one match. You know, this guy was tall, right? The Bible tells us he was six cubits in a span. Uh, you know, we're talking, you know, nine foot, nine somewhere in there. You know, two feet taller than the tallest guy that we know that plays in the NBA. Uh, the Bible tells us about his armor and the weaponry, and they're just very impressive and intimidating. And notice with me in First Samuel chapter 17, starting in verse eight, as it says about Goliath that he stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel and said to them, "Why do you come out to draw up in battle array?" Am I not the Philistine and you servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then he will become your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall become our servants and serve us. Again, the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. The Bible tells us that Goliath did this for 40 days. Twice a day. That's 80 times that he came out and defied the armies of the Lord. I defy the ranks of Israel this day, he says. That word defy means to treat with contempt or to humiliate. He was humiliating God's army every day, twice a day. And where's King Saul in all of this? Well, we're told in verse 11 that when Saul and all of Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. This is their king. This is their leader, and he is afraid. He is afraid to stand up to Goliath. And the Bible then tells us, you know, here comes David. You know, David is the youngest of, of eight brothers, and three of his older brothers they're in this army. But of course, David, you know, he's back tending to his father's sheep. He, he's a shepherd. But his dad, dad asks him to go and take some provisions uh, to his brothers and to check on them. And he arrives at camp. But as he's arriving at camp. He's watching the men flee, fleeing from Goliath, this man who is taunting the armies of the living God. And David said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living God? Of course, we know the rest of the story. right? We know that David goes and challenges and slays Goliath. And while everyone was in fear uh, in the camp of the Israelites, what was so different about David? We want to notice a couple of things, and then the lesson will be yours this morning. But we want to notice that first David drew on God's past faithfulness. Look at verses 31 through 37, again in chapter 17 of 1 Samuel. When the words which David spoke were heard, they told them to Saul, and he sent for him. David said to Saul, let no man's heart fall on account of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Then Saul said to David, You are not able to go up against the Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, while he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant was tending his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I went out after him and attacked him and rescued it from his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, since he has taunted the armies of the living God. Verse 37, And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of this bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go and may the Lord be with you. Did you notice there in that account of David speaking to King Saul? David did not take the credit for what he had done. He killed a lion. He killed a bear that attacked his father's flock. But he didn't take the credit. He says over and over, the Lord who delivered me. And not only did he deliver me then, but he is going to deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. You know, and we need to do that as well. We need to draw on God's past faithfulness in our lives uh, looking forward uh, as well. You know, we need to look back and see how God prepared me for this moment, for these moments, how he prepared me in the past. You know, we were talking in our young adult Bible class on Wednesday night in James chapter one, how James, remember, he says, you know, consider it all joy, brethren. Consider it all joy when you encounter various trials, you know, knowing that those various trials are going to help you produce endurance and patience and long suffering, and that's going to have its perfect result Uh, in the end of things, it's going to make you a more mature Christian. Do you think back on those times in your lives when you've gone through those trials? Uh, Maybe you didn't, it didn't seem as joy when you were going through them, but do you look back and think about how God got me through those times, how you couldn't do it on your own, how God maybe providentially put someone uh, or some people in your in your life at that time to help you. Maybe you were listening to a sermon on something that you were really struggling with, and something the preacher said or the Bible class teacher said, you know, really got you uh, got you interested and got you uh, ready and mentally motivated to overcome it. You see that my God today is the same God that allowed David to defeat Goliath, and so we need to remember on those past faithfulness of God to overcome fear. Secondly, David did not let pressure from others to stop him. Again, David hears these rants from Goliath uh, for the first time. And what does he think? You know, we're told that we didn't get to read this part, but Eliab, who was David's oldest brother there, he was jealous and enraged that David was even there. He says, you know, get out of here, David. I know your heart. You're just here to watch. Uh, and again, this is his own brother, his own flesh and blood that is holding him back. You know, maybe David standing up to his older brother here took more courage uh, than standing against Goliath because it takes courage uh, in, in instances like those. But also, we just read about King Saul. You know, King Saul didn't do anything to encourage David either. He, he, as a matter of fact, he said, you can't fight him. You're just a kid. Uh, Goliath has been a warrior since his youth, and you're just a kid. But again, David overlooked it, and he went on. You know, we have a choice as well when it comes to fear. I like these acronyms that I was that I read the other day. You know, we can either forget everything and run. right? That's fear. Forget everything and run. Or we can face everything and rise. We can face everything and rise. Again, David did not let pressure from others stop him. And then finally, David saw God, not Goliath. You know, again, it is all a matter of perspective in this life. You know, everyone there on the battlefield thought that Goliath was too big to hit. David thought Goliath was too big to miss. The soldiers were intimidated. They only looked at the external and they never mentioned God in their fear. But uh, count again, go through this chapter one time and go through and count the number of times that David mentions God over Goliath, and you're going to see that God is overwhelmingly who David is talking about, not Goliath. And does our God thoughts outweigh our Goliath thoughts? And you know what I mean by that is we all have giants we face in this life. Again, we all have those problems, uh, those big giant Goliaths, these things that we need to overcome. We have those in our lives, but what is are we letting those things bog down our minds, control our thinking? Or do we have God on the mind? Romans chapter eight, verse thirty-one: If God is for us, who is against us? Philippians four, thirteen: I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. You know the, that passage we see a lot of times at uh, sporting events that athletes will wear um, uh, on their sleeve, maybe. And but that verse isn't talking about a football or basketball game, but it's talking about when I am faced with fear, uh, I can withstand it, being faithful to the Lord. Again, this, this morning, uh, we, we know that, you know, again, we spend millions and millions of dollars to overcome fear. But again, fear in the Lord's army has heavier consequences. Uh, a preacher once said, a frightened world needs a fearless church. You know, th- th- no, that quote didn't come from the past couple of years, but this is, a, this is over 60 years old. Again, a frightened world needs a fearless church church. And of course, we are living in a time when people are fearful. We're, we're fearful. And of course, this this harms the church. Now, I know we, we need to take certain precautions, of course, but it hurts the, the, the church when we are being fearful. It Fear kills evangelism. Uh, I was just reading the other day, uh, um, Brother Rob Whitaker, again, a preacher in the Lord's Church who oversees the House to House evangelism program, and he was talking about how uh, before uh, COVID hit, the, hit this world, uh, they were averaging one convert a day. One baptism a day was reported. But during the time of March uh, through May of 2020, do you know how many baptisms they reported? Zero. See, fear held the church back at that time. But there is good news because as of today, they're averaging 1.3. Even before the pandemic, the church is getting out there. It's evangelizing. And again, we can defeat fear when we remember on God's past faithfulness, when we don't succumb to the pressure around us, and when we keep our focus on God and not those Goliaths in our life. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6, that was read for us uh, this morning. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. So that we confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? This morning, as we offer the invitation, if you're here this morning and not a Christian... We would, again, we would love the opportunity to have that uh, time to sit down and study with you. Uh, Maybe you're uh, afraid to ask those questions. But, again, we would love the opportunity to help you uh, to find out just what the Bible says about becoming a Christian, uh, hearing the Word of God, believing about Jesus as the Son of God, repenting of our sins, confessing Jesus as Lord, and being baptized for the forgiveness of our sins. And at that point, the Lord will add you to His church. Uh, But if you're here this morning as well and you are a Christian, but maybe you need the prayers of this congregation. Maybe you need the strength from your brothers and sisters here. Uh, Maybe uh, you're living in fear and you need to um, change your mind about that and to come back to the Lord and to work for him and him alone. Uh, We would love the opportunity to help you as well and to pray for you and to strengthen you. Uh, Please come forward and let us know those things as together we stand and sing this song of invitation.